to yet another episode of Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. And I am Rob Melm. And this is number eight in our podcast series. Uh, this is October 1962 uh, with a newsstand date of August 1962. And we are going to talk about the comics that were on the stands at that point. Um, we have four comics this month that we'll be discussing. Fantastic Four number seven, Journey into Mystery 85, Strange Tales 101, and Tales to Astonish, number 36. The writers on these, uh, Stan Lee wrote uh, Fantastic Four, number 7. Um, Stan and his brother Larry Lieber wrote the stories we'll be talking about in Journey into Mystery and Strange Tales. Uh, and then Larry wrote uh, Tales to Astonish. Uh, but Jack Kirby and Dick Ayers did all the artwork, uh, yeah. pencils and inks, respectively. And that's a lot of pages to churn out in one month. The Marvel bullpen, uh, they haven't coined that term yet, I don't think. But man, it was like more of a sweatshop than a bullpen. And a tiny, tiny bullpen. Yeah, that's, seriously. That's two people. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, they uh, Marvel did have other artists, but they were still working on uh, the other things they were publishing the mystery comics and the weird like monster comics and the you know romance comics things like that all the superhero stuff was being handled by uh jack the king kirby um and you know there's a good reason for that he is the absolute best at superhero comics <laughs> at this point and maybe all points and maybe all points sure absolutely uh, but before we get into talking about the comics um let's just set the stage a little bit and talk about what was going on in August 1962, well, leading off with sad news, uh, early uh, in the month, uh, on uh, August 4th, uh, Marilyn Monroe, she took the uh, fatal overdose of Nembutal pills uh, that would wind up killing her the next day. I mean, that's the story. I think we all know that really it was Joe DiMaggio and the Kennedys that murdered <laughs> Marilyn Monroe um, and covered it up. So not a super happy way for August uh, to begin. And it just kind of gets uh, crappier from there uh, <laughs> if you are rooting for the uh, U.S. side in the space race. Yeah, they're they're always uh, second place every time we talk about this. Yeah. Um, so on the 11th, uh, the Soviets uh, sent cosmonaut. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. Uh, he was the fifth man in space. And then the very next day, they launched another cosmonaut <laughs> into space. And then uh, the two cosmonauts wound up in orbit, uh, coming close enough to each other that they could establish radio contact, which just blew everyone's minds um, at that point. Like that was way beyond what uh, anyone thought the Soviet Union was capable of. Um, so as we're talking about some of these stories, uh, and you're seeing just the seething hatred for the commies, <laughs> you can understand, like America was getting our asses kicked and we were running scared, uh, when it came to the space race, certainly, uh, and other geopolitical stuff. And so they, they, uh, they had video, live video of the, the first Soviet cosmonaut. So yeah. now there's real proof. Like right. if you had said, this is a hoax, like many people still say about everything in space, the video was really defeating to a lot of people who thought 
maybe or you know they couldn't actually put a picture to that so right now we know we're losing to the commies yeah and then uh, in more despicable communist news um <laughs> on the 17th of august 1962 we should stop and apologize to communists though oh uh, right. right now in yeah. case they're communist listeners this is commies from right you know the 1960s this is the bad commies yeah yeah you're fine aoc but uh talking about east and west berlin Peter Fechter, um, who I believe uh, was an East German, uh, he was 18 years old. He was trying to cross the Berlin Wall into West Berlin, um, and he was shot by East German border guards and didn't die right away. The East German guards wouldn't let anyone approach him. Uh, they wouldn't do anything to save him. And it was just like, you know, of, of the many low points in the Cold War, this was just something that um, obviously made, you know, international news. Um, and was just like held up as a example of just how despicable these reds could be, which is, um, yeah, not in, great. In non-red news. Yes. And important to, to me as a both a drummer and a Beatles fan. Yes. On the 16th of August, which was which is my ex's birthday. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, and what a per- present if she was alive in 1962. Right. Um, not not nothing yet. <laughs> I'm really gonna insult pete best now but pete best was fired and ringo star uh, was brought into the beatles as the drummer and that is probably a good move he was a very pro drummer mm. so uh he might have had some influence despite a lot of dings against right. his singing abilities on uh <laughs> on what the beatles did i was gonna go for the easy ringo joke and just say that so it was really nothing but bad news <laughs> right. in august 1962 uh, but you know i guess since he's I mean, let's face it, he's destined to be the last Beatle standing. We should probably yeah. be nicer. To and as him. a drummer, still respect. All uh, right. There you as go. As a singer, less. Yeah. As a songwriter, even less. But as a drummer, <laughs> yeah. Yay. Ringo. Ringo. Let's, uh, let's jump into our funny books uh, for the month. So... Um, I will start off by talking about the only full-length story that we're going to talk about this week, uh, Fantastic Four number 7, which features a cover that shows a giant wanted poster of the Fantastic Four saying they're wanted dead or alive with an angry mob carrying torches. And the cover asks the question, why does the human race turn against the Fantastic Four? Only the master of Planet X knows the answer. So let's give a little quick summary here. We uh, open on uh, Kurgo, that's Kurgo with two R's, <laughs> uh, master of Planet X. Um, he's watching the uh, Fantastic Four through some sort of uh, crazy video monitor. He is lamenting the fact that uh, his world is about to be destroyed by, uh, he calls it a rogue asteroid at this point, but uh, later on we find out it's actually a giant planet. Yeah, um, it's a Pluto thing. Despite the fact that he lives in this crazy technologically advanced world, they only have two spaceships, um, so evacuation's not an option. He decides what he needs to do is uh, reach out to Reed Richards, the smartest man on Earth, and by extension, I guess, the universe, <laughs> uh, and to try to solve their problem. So we uh, jump to uh, the Fantastic Four, where they are getting ready to speak before Congress to uh, accept some accolades for their heroic adventures. As they are heading there, Kurgo sends this giant robot minion to earth in one of their two spaceships the fantastic four uh arrive in congress they're getting uh, lauded for their achievements but kurgo's crazy robot 
uh, activates a hostility ray as it flies over Washington. Um, and we see uh, civilians turning against each other. Um, and uh, the uh, senators in Washington are no exception. Um, they immediately turn on the Fantastic Four uh, and order um, the uh, military guards to take them into custody. The FF escapes. They try to get away from Kurgo's robots, but it's to no avail. They ultimately decide to go with him um, because basically they're threatened with having their lives completely uh, ruined um, and they'll be hunted by mankind to the end of the earth thanks to this hostility ray. Um, but really why they go is curiosity. Yes. Reed, well, Reed can't help it. Yeah. Reed, <laughs> Reed uh, he's he being to know. presented with a weird challenge and, uh, you know, space travel has worked out so well <laughs> for them every time they've done it. So, you know, why not? Get a couple uh, cosmic rays extra yeah so they uh they jump into the spaceship they fly to planet x they talk to kurgo they come up with a plan or rather of course reed comes up with a plan reed's plan is uh he's going to develop a way to shrink all of the inhabitants on planet x so tiny that they can all fit into one of the two spaceships and escape and find a new world to live on uh meanwhile the fantastic four will take the other spaceship and get home. So uh, that's the plan that they put into place, and uh, they do it just in time. But Kurgo has some other ideas. He has uh, the capsule of enlarging gas, which is going to supposed to re return all of the inhabitants of Planet X to their regular size. Uh, but he decides what he's going to do is he's going to remain the only uh, relatively giant person um, of his people. And uh, he uh, winds up uh, trying to get to the uh, escape ship, but uh, as the planet starts to crumble around him, uh, he falls and he makes the choice not to go to the escape ship without the enlarging gas. Uh, and so for his greed, uh, he winds up perishing as Planet X crumbles into nothing. And then at the very end of the story, Reed reveals there was no reducing gas. It was just an empty projectile. Uh, he says, I only told them about it so they could consent to my plan. But once they reach their new world, it won't matter. They'll all be the same size. And in this vast universe of ours, one size is only relative anyway. Which is, though, an editing error. Yes. There's no enlarging gas. He says reducing gas. Like, so the... Uh, oh, you're yeah. right. So they've all been reduced. Yeah. They're all miniature, which is also biting on Ant-Man's rhymes. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, he, they go... And there's no enlarging gas. And I was like, well, I think you meant when you said reducing gas, yeah. you meant enlarging gas. Well, so, yeah, if we can come up with uh, listeners, if anyone can come up with an explanation for why Reed said reducing instead of enlarging, because we know he's the smartest man the on no Earth. Prize. We're going to do no prizes. Yeah. yeah. So this is the first <laughs> official one we're going to give out because I don't think Marvel gives them out. Yeah. Anymore, they, so someone and they haven't to. started it yet. Yeah. So we're we're going to pre-start the no prize in 1962. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are not in the loop on uh, what no prizes are, I mean, Google it. <laughs> um, or just wait until someone writes in with an explanation about why Reed said reducing instead of enlarging. Uh, if it's good enough, we will uh, award you a no prize. And we'll probably talk about it. That's Fantastic Four number seven. What do you got? I got Journey into Mystery number 85. All right, cool. What happens there? 
Well, what happens is uh, a little stepbrother you might know, or half-brother, as Loki appears. So this guy is a... You might have heard of him in the Marvel Universe a couple oh, yeah. of times. He's the uh, only villain they've developed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's like this Thanos. Which oh, is, right. That guy then, too. And yep. then Loki. Yep. We're introduced on the cover. We see Loki in a <laughs> on a pedestal on top of a building saying, I challenge you to match your powers against mine, Thor. Thor says, it is Loki, my sworn enemy. He has found me at last. So all of the pieces of uh, Loki as sibling, we're going to leave that out for right now. Yes. We'll get to that. Uh, so Loki, the god of mischief, is about his business, and he is going to, he wants to best Thor, which is one of the things he does a lot of. But most importantly in this issue, we get straight to Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. Oh, man, thank Asgard you. Asgard is here. We've got Heimdall. We've got a lot of the Norse mythology is starting to, to come up. So lame Dr. Blake is being <laughs> supplanted by the actual <laughs> Norse mythology or the interpreted Norse mythology of Stanley. Right. Which is also now Norse mythology. Right, so. exactly. So we find out that, uh, just to start off with, Loki is trapped in a tree. This is this is actually part of the ancient Norse mythology. And he can't, he won't be released unless someone sheds a tear for his plight. So he finds a way to control the tree over time and uh, drop a leaf into, is it Heimdall's eye? It is Heimdall. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Heimdall gets a leaf in the eye, sheds a tear because, you know, leaf in the eye. And Loki is released on, you know, basically a hoax. He, you know, get, he, he gets off in a technicality. Yeah, it's a technicality. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got himself loose. No one actually cried for his plight, but a leaf hit someone in the eye. So Loki immediately decides he's going to go cause some mischief and, you know, strife for his... His half-brother, Thor. Loki got a Loki. So Loki jumps on the Bifrost Rainbow Bridge and beams down to Earth to get about his business of mischief. We have a couple things of lame Dr. Blake encountering. He's uh, <laughs> just going about his business. But uh, what he does find is some people who have been turned into negatives by Loki. So he decides it's time to smack his cane on the ground, become Thor, and fix this problem. And he does it by spinning his hammer and making antimatter particles. Don't check this science. <laughs> and they're back to normal. I, I, I believe this is the Larry Lieber uh, contribution to the story. <laughs> his, yeah, his, <laughs> his science is not tight. No. As the opposite of a Mr. Show reference. Um, <laughs> uh, but Thor, being part of Lame Dr. Blake, hashtag Lame Dr. Blake, doesn't quite remember Loki because he's, he's not, he doesn't actually have the memories of the god. So Loki is undeterred, basically threatens him some more, makes a carpet fly. Thor spins a hammer to chase him. Loki hypnotizes him by some sparkles and then gets Thor to do some weird stuff. One of the things he does is convinces Thor to give his hammer to himself after trying to get him to throw his hammer away. He finds out the only way he can do that is to give it to himself because Thor is the only one who could have it. Right. And Loki makes an illusionary duplicate of yeah. Thor to make that happen. Which just drops on the ground. Thor goes about his business doing what, what Loki would say. And uh, a lot of people try to lift the hammer. So we, we get that uh, another glimpse of how, you know, the unworthy cannot lift that hammer. Don, Don Blake finds his way back. He grabs it. He shakes loose the hypnotism. And he goes after Loki again. And this is <laughs> my be the best part. 
Loki <laughs> commands a bunch of pigeons to come over and then rides a flock of pigeons in the sky. Amazing. Uh, Thor spins his hammer, throws it, chases him down. Uh, you know, now that I think of it, there's not a lot of action per se. Yeah. It's just sort of Loki causing a bit of trouble. Thor shaking off hypnotism and going after him. Yes. Um, we do find out that Thor can apparently blow wind to stop a curtain from falling on mm. him. A uh, little bit of a, a Superman type power. And then another Superman note, Loki causes a train, pushes some people into a train track and Thor jumps down. And instead of, you know, jumping to stop the train, he, uh, he just bends the tracks up. So the train has a little bump over the people. Everyone's safe. Uh, then we find that Loki has <laughs> summoned a winged horse <laughs> from a gasoline from a gas sign. station. Yeah, yeah, that's the part I love is yeah. that I, they won't say like, what is it? That's mobile, right? That has I think the Pegasus. So, the brand name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they won't call it out by name, but it's like, hey, he brought the logo to life and now he's getting away on it. So, yeah, we understand that Loki has some weird powers and can make you know, uh, icons, brand bugs come to life. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he's running amok, causing some trouble. That's what he does. Um, and, and in a, in a great move, Thor throws a, a giant piece of pipe onto Loki's head, <laughs> uh, knocks him into the, into, I'm assuming the Hudson, mm-hmm. uh, but then decides to go after him before he drowns. Right. And he says that he throws him into the, river because loki's magic powers are useless in water does that ever come back i don't think so okay yeah I, that was the first time i had heard it and yeah. i heard a lot about loki over the time yeah. So, yeah that's what i thought i thought that was a totally invented thing i was like why don't people just keep kicking him into swimming just pools throw water on him yeah pull a wicked witch of the west <laughs> so yeah having thrown him in water he uh he, Loki doesn't have his power. He's he's wet, and until he dries, he still doesn't have his power. <laughs> <laughs> so Thor does some uh, pretty cool stuff and uh, decides to spin Loki around and throw him back to Asgard, which is which I love. He just hucks him. He just he gets on top of yeah. I believe the Empire State Building yep. the, at that time, the world's tallest skyscraper, yeah. and spins him about and throws him back into Asgard. So right out of Midgard. <laughs> yep, and. Uh, and and we have another little view of some of the gods, including Odin, mm-hmm. in, in Asgard. And this is just the first time we start to hear of the the full pantheon yes. and and understand the sort of the the greater promise of what Thor can be. Yep. Jane Foster is uh swooning over how powerful and awesome Thor is. Yeah. To lame Doctor Blake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The end. Uh, and this is. It's, it's a pretty solid Thor story because there's almost no Dr. Blake in it in the entire thing. It's <laughs> yep. like 90% Thor. I'm like, okay, you guys are figuring this out. And some almost Thor dialogue. Like yes. Thor talking as Thor, not as a guy driving Thor. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, well, I'm going to jump over and talk about uh, Strange Tales 101, uh, at least the first story here. Um, so welcome strange tales, welcome to strange tales, uh, which is another one of Marvel's anthology books, um, a year or so ago, this would have been just full of, you know, science fiction and monster titles, obviously with the success of the fantastic four, they are just trying to just fill all their books with superheroes as quickly as they possibly can. 
So uh, what they do with uh, Strange Tales uh, 101 is uh, this becomes the Human Torch solo book. He gets credit uh, right on the cover, um, starring the the fabulous Human Torch uh, with an asterisk by permission of the Fantastic Four (laughs) magazine. So So issue number seven of Fantastic Four has already spawned a spinoff. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I remember you know, working at the comic store when I was a kid um, and being really frustrated with, you know, how quickly, you know, Marvel would just throw out all these, you know, as soon as anything started to take off, especially that was right in the middle of the X explosion. Um, 4,000 X-Men titles. Exactly. X-Force. It's like, yeah. yeah, like you literally, like if you had any mutant DNA, you were guaranteed at least a four-issue <laughs> limited series at some point. Um, Big Cannonball. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's what we were clamoring for. Um, but uh, no, I mean, this was part of Marvel's DNA from the get go. Um, you know, they lost no time um, spinning the uh, Human Torch off in his own book, um, apparently because they were, you know, they'd gotten some sort of feedback uh, about him being the most popular member of the team. So uh, here we go. And we're going to uh, see the Human Torch take on the Destroyer. So. Uh, it opens with uh, Human Torch uh, flying around, playing with some ballistic missiles, as you do. <laughs> and uh, he lands in uh, in Glenville, and he establishes pretty quickly that uh, no one knows he's the Human Torch, which is kind of weird, because I think in the same month, wasn't he just summoned <laughs> to Washington, D.C. to receive a congressional award? And he was not... And flam, but yeah, was, yeah, exactly. So. I mean, he's there with his sister, who they do make a point of saying that the world knows her identity, right? Um, but uh, I'm guessing a phone book would reveal yeah, Johnny Storm. It's just it, it's a really weird decision. Um, and there's an editor's note uh, right on the first page. Four of Johnny's schoolmates did know his secret identity, but they graduated high school last term. Now one of them is in the army. Two are away at college, and the fourth is working in Chicago. All have been sworn to secrecy. That is a very weird note. It's a very strange note. And the only thing I can think is that there must have been some sort of perception. It's like, if he's going to be a solo star, he needs to have a secret identity. Like, this is just like, this is what you get when you're a superhero. (laughs) Um, You know, when when you headline your own book. Like, it's the same reason, like... Don Blake is Thor's secret identity, and I don't think anyone knows that Hank Pym is Ant-Man. Like, you know. Yeah, I feel like Larry Lieber though was was a strong hand in writing this. He's yeah, he's the co-writer, and I feel like this is yeah Larry just like adding. He looks up what other comics are doing, applies it to this. It's a really weird, unnecessary complication, but here we are. So. <laughs> Uh, we find out that uh, Johnny uh, is living his secret identity um, uh, in his home here. Uh, he has a room that uh, is made <laughs> entirely of asbestos, <laughs> which is going to be a real bummer for him in about 20 or 30 yeah, years. <laughs> unless the cosmic rays have given him some other protections. <laughs> oh, asbestos man. bedspread, carpet, non-combustible furniture, chemically treated, yeah, non-combustible floor, asbestos wallpaper, everything. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, like this, the first two pages of this, is, it's just a very strange story. It goes into like this unnecessary level of bizarre detail about the secret identity thing. And then like, and here's my asbestos room in case I flame on in the night. It's mm-hmm. like, 
it, it, that's never been a concern that has been raised about the Human Torch prior <laughs> the, to this point. There was a letter writing campaign, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I really think there wasn't. May, yeah, they, they were. I, I just imagine like all the children of America are writing Stan Lee letters. And they, all the letters said the same things. It's like, A, the Human Torch is our absolute favorite superhero. B, we're very afraid of what would happen if he had a nightmare and <laughs> caught his room on fire. The night terrors are bad for yeah. Johnny Storm. So anyway, okay. uh, <laughs> resuming, um, uh, we get a quick recap of uh, the Fantastic Four origin story. Um, and then we see uh, the aforementioned Destroyer. Which is a pretty cool outfit. It's a pretty cool outfit. It's it's like almost a proto Hydra type yeah. outfit. Um, Yellow and green. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's got his uh, sights set on a, a recently built amusement park, which is almost finished. And he says it's time for the destroyer to strike. Uh, so he sends uh, a cut and pasted ransom note uh, to the publisher of the local paper, saying uh, the construction of the amusement park must stop. If it doesn't, I shall strike. And so uh, we see that later that day, or the next day, the uh, roller coaster track breaks while someone is uh, testing it out. Um, Johnny, because he's got a secret identity now, apparently, um, has to uh, create a distraction where he causes some dude's cigarette to generate a whole bunch of smoke. He flies up, saves the guy, gets himself back down before the smoke clears. Uh, Secret identity, totally cool. Hmm. Uh, next day, very similar thing happens. Another ransom note uh, to the editor of the local paper. And uh, <laughs> there's a, a parachute jump ride, um, which folks are testing out. Um, and all of a sudden that starts to collapse. So again, uh, Johnny makes a weird distraction. distraction, <laughs> yeah. uh, And he uh, flames on, uh, welds it all back together before uh, it can totally collapse um, and uh, saves the day again. And then uh, he heads home and uh, sees that the destroyer has sent another note to the newspaper. Um, and he's getting ready to uh, go check it out when there's a knock at his door. And it's the thing. And if this is a sitcom, this would be the part where everyone just stands and applauds. Norm. Yay. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the thing uh, tells him that uh, the destroyer is too much room to handle. And he's going to pulverize him for Johnny. Johnny's like, look. Destroyer called me out. I'm going to take care of it. Ben's like, all right. And he leaves. So uh, that's your guest appearance yep, from Ben Grimm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so hope you uh, hope you enjoy that, kids. So uh, Johnny tracks down uh, what he thinks of the Destroyer uh, at a cabin in the woods. Uh, but it's a trap. It's a trap. He trips the trap, uh, gets covered in flame retardant foam. But before the Destroyer can actually get in there and finish him off, he hears uh, some kids coming through the woods. He runs off and uh, Johnny is able to get away safely. So now uh, Johnny goes to check out the amusement park. He flies up to the top of the roller coaster. He has a hunch and it is confirmed that there is a communist sub in the bay, uh, which the roller coaster overlooks. So he boils the water around there. The Coast Guard takes the commies into custody um, he busts in there and he finds the destroyer who it's revealed is the editor of the newspaper oh. who is sending the messages to himself to throw everyone off the track. But then uh, America's fighting men take everyone into custody um, and the day is saved. Uh, that's the Human Torch's first solo adventure <laughs> in Strange Tales. We are promised another one. I don't know if that's the kind of thing that you're excited about, uh, if that's more of a 
a tease or a threat, but there you go. All right. Well, I have to wrap us up Tales to Astonish number 36. The Ant-Man is back. And uh, as you might guess, he's going to fight some commies. Mm. <laughs> so How novel. He's fighting Comrade X. We had Planet X in... <laughs> Uh, apparently they're just like let's just label everything x yes yep. so planet x in ff now we have comrade x uh who is challenging the astonishing ant-man yes and just to before we get going here just to clarify this issue was completely written by larry lieber so <laughs> just just warning just throwing that out there so uh we have a, a large preamble going over um, the, the various powers and cybernetic communication that Ant-Man has with ants. Yes. We have some, we start with some would-be bank robbers who have locked themselves in a vault and Ant-Man is inside the tumblers uh, unlocking the vault with his, uh, with only, you know, his miniature size to, <laughs> to solve that. So he does. Uh, and then he rides off on some ants and no one knows who he is. This is another thing, another point of this comic, maybe Larry's involvement is we have constant reminders that he has a secret identity yep. and no one knows who he is. Yep. Uh, then we uh, we cut to thousands of miles away with uh, the commies where we see an obvious like horrible, horrible portrait of Khrushchev in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just monstrous yeah but you can tell it's still him so you know good job kirby so comrade x reports he is uh sent to america to try to capture the ant-man and he looks kind of like a handsome young joseph stalin yeah he's got a quite a wide mustache mm -hmm. yeah very much a stalin uh, image and he is one of the least hideous of the of the communists as yeah. portrayed here so the least of an most of them look like ogres and big eyebrows together right, right you know obvious villains so he comes to the u.s <laughs> and uh it, it gets it gets it kind gets of complicated really, here it's very like wait, quickly wait what what what's going on here a young lady says she must reach ant-man immediately right so they send out information across the wide network of police which is picked up by the wide network of ants <laughs> and uh Ant-Man is monitoring ant communication <laughs> and picks up on this, gets his helmet on, goes into action. And this is the best part. When he goes into action, what, what the Ant-Man does is he goes through a tiny, tiny secret panel, jumps into a catapult, which is essentially like a human cannonball <laughs> scenario, and just aims it and fires himself <laughs> along the way uh, into and then, a giant and a pile of ants. ants. So he, <laughs> that's how he lands. He just yeah. calls a bunch of ants to pile up and catch him. So yeah. he has fired himself uh, miles. I'm guessing. Uh, don't know exactly where he lives, but you know, into the New York metropolitan area. Yeah. And Ant-Man, this is the kind of stuff that made Garrett Morris make fun of you. That's how I live. Like I'm just, throwing that out there so uh he he figures out that this this person who wanted to contact him this this lady who is in the police station is jumping into a cab so he uh riding his aunt uh <laughs> jumps onto the cab gets into it and uh hides in her purse right 
as she gets out, he's still he's still following her. He reveals himself, uh, but he he wants to know why she wanted to see him. And she she reveals that she had fallen in love with a spy. Right. Who was the deadly red master spy comrade X. And uh, and he was trying to kill Ant-Man. He was mm-hmm. after Ant-Man. So Ant-Man decides he's going to go <laughs> uh, try to catch and confront this mysterious comrade X face to face. So then we hit part two. Ant-Man finds out that comrade X is on a boat on Pier 89. So he decides he's going to ride some ants over there as you do. <laughs> uh, but Comrade X was planning for this and has an electric eye that catches Ant-Man as he's riding up the gangplank with his ants. So, An uh, incredibly sensitive electric yeah, eye. Yeah. Ready for ants. On one specific gangplank. <laughs> yeah. Catches Ant-Man and a bunch of his ants in a, in a glass container with just a f- tiny, tiny holes, breathing holes that won't even allow an ant to get through, but it will allow the cybernetic communication that Ant-Man can create with his helmet. So, <laughs> oh, bear with us. So Ant-Man, yeah. so Hank, Hank Pym asks a bunch of ants to throw some wood into the water and float over to the boat and climb up a different way where there's not an electric eye on a rope and get in, bite a guy, which we did last <laughs> issue. Yep, because that's what ants, that's really all ants can do. <laughs> guy drops <laughs> his gun, breaks open the uh, glass container, Sets him free. Can't catch him by the time he crawls into what could only be said as an ant hole, since it's too <laughs> small for an actual mouse. Uh, then he uh, proceeds to do some more ant activity. Climbs up on a roof. Drops uh, with his human strength in ant form. Drops a lantern on the radio communicator so he can't uh, message out to anyone. Grows back to normal size. Calls the authorities. <laughs> has the ants on... Uh, lock some other people into their uh, so they can't come help some red seamen. And then uh, the <laughs> you see a doctor. I for may that. have <laughs> pronounced that improperly. <laughs> <laughs> and then he uh, sneaks up on. He thinks he's sneaking up on Comrade X, but Comrade X is ready with some DDT, mm. something that any of us born a while ago probably inhaled. <laughs> um, so. Comrade X is prepared to spray uh, Ant-Man with DDT, but Ant-Man has already cybernetically asked some ants to cover the light, which freaks Comrade X out. And just enough for Hank Pym with his human-sized strength and a tiny body to tie some shoelaces together and knock over Comrade X. Hundreds of ants swarm him. They pull off a mask and reveal that Comrade X is the young lady who was asking for help to begin with. Oh man, it so, all comes full circle. So yes, Comrade X is Madam X. And uh and but we find out that Henry Pym already knew this because he had crawled into the purse and found this uh mask earlier when he was first meeting them. Right. So I don't know why how or why he went through all of the rest of this, but yeah. he he did know that there was something suspicious afoot with this latex mask in the purse. But uh, he has he has captured Madam X. The authority is already there. He rides off again. His secret identity safe. Just riding an ant. That's what he does. The end. The end. 
mercifully. Before we get into uh, deciding how marvelous this month was, um, let's talk about what our panel of the month was. Um, so if there's one panel um, that you think stands out from the uh, the entire month's worth of comics, um, that's the thing that you will remember, uh, what what do you think yours would be? Uh, mine would have to be <laughs> um, Thor, Journey into Mystery, 85, page 9, panel 5. This is... <laughs> where we see that Loki riding a flock of pigeons in the sky. It's an amazing standing visual. Up. It's not like he's like flat on some pigeons, you know, Superman style. He's, <laughs> he's standing up. He's like kite surfing pigeons swarm <laughs> and, and, and Thor, you know, whirling his hammer to go after him, but just the, and it's a tiny, tiny panel, little Kirby bit yep. uh, as usual, but it's so bizarre. I love it. It's a it's a hell of a thing. It may not be the best thing that Jack ever drew, but it's not the worst. Yep. And yep. and he, I'm sure he read something in his script and was like, I'll do it. Yep. That's what he does. Whatever. I got 60 pages to get through this month. I'm not going to second guess this. Apparently, that's my Jack impersonation. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. How about uh, you? Yeah. No, that's that's a winner. Um, I think mine uh, is equally uh, sort of tongue in cheek. Uh, so I'm going to go to uh, Fantastic Four number seven. Uh, page 12, uh, panel one and only. It's a full page splash. Um, so this is where um, Kurgo's uh, robot minion uh, has, is making his pitch to the Fantastic Four. Um, and he is showing uh, on this giant device the riding crowds uh, in the streets below um, and basically making it clear to the Fantastic Four that Look, you either solve our problem or you're going to be hunted by mankind for the rest of your lives. And Kurgo, I mean, Kurgo's robot. Yeah. And I don't know if I should roll the R with a double R. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Kurgo. Uh, <laughs> but his robot is classic Kirby. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Oh, big, yeah. Bigfoot robot. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And just like solid imposing. And the device itself is, is pretty awesome. It's like the, another great weird Kirby gadget. But the reason I chose this panel was because of Reed Richards' reaction uh, to it. Um, and this is, uh, so remember, this is Reed Richards. This is the greatest scientist Earth has ever known. The man who uh, basically developed space travel um, before NASA uh, got anyone into orbit. Um, and his response to uh, what Kurgo's robot is telling him is, a portable self-contained TV receiver. Amazing! <laughs> I just, I love the fact that, like, going back and reading these older comics, the things that the characters are amazed by that we now just completely take for granted, um, you know, whether it's, like, having to elaborately explain why someone in a car is able to receive a phone call hmm. or something, like, it's, um, that stuff always just cracks me up. Um, also, keep in mind, in the same month, yeah, that we, when we saw the amazing asbestos room, right, for Johnny Storm in Glenville, yeah, uh, over Long past Long Island, yes, that's, that's pretty much what we know about it. Um, he has a tabletop which is a TV screen which scans all callers. Oh, so yeah. Reed may have already invented something similar, but he was just wowing at how portable this this iPhone right, was. yeah. Like, I mean, and and this is like a giant iPhone. Yeah. I was guess, yeah, and and. The definition of portable is a little uh, sketchy here it's because 
The thing is at least seven feet long. <laughs> it was both a big screen television and yep, portable. So, you know, way to go. Yeah. So it's great. Good job, um, Kurgo. Yeah. So that's that's my uh, my panel of the month. So, uh, all right. So let's do uh, our, our final verdict here on how marvelous was this <laughs> month. So uh, I'm going to say here's the criteria uh, this month. So in tribute uh, to the Beatles original drummer. Uh, who was fired this month? Um, I want to know: do you, do you think this is the Pete best month of Marvel Comics, the Pete worst month of Marvel Comics so far, or the Pete somewhere in the middle month? Uh, what do you think? Oh man, I would have to say it's it's certainly not the Pete best. No, and it is no star. Uh, it is um, it's below average. It's I'm going to call it the Pete below average, but okay. not the Pete worst. OK, so Pete below average. Yep. It's got a hyphenated name as a weird marriage. You know, <laughs> his parents. Uh, but yeah, so uh, just because there's 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 not a lot here. There's like forgettable villains. There's uh, it's just, you know, commies, but not even that great of commies. Yeah. I'm still I didn't even comment on this earlier, but the destroyer's outfit changes from scene to scene. Yeah. It's got some yellow on the chest early on that looks kind of cool and it's gone later. Yeah. Uh, there's just lots of it just seems like, you know, they might have been trying to rush through a lot here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and and especially Johnny Storm and his in his one off strange tales. That yeah. was just weird. Yeah. Uh, so Pete. You know, below average. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I I, I hate to do it because, you know, I obviously I love Marvel or we, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. But um, I'm going to say I think this is the Pete worst month of Marvel <laughs> Comics. Um, so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely so far. Um, it just like nothing really works. Um, Thor, I think, comes closest. Like the um, introducing Loki, introducing Asgard and the Asgardians. Um, you know, I think we're we're that's the that's the nearest everyone gets to really firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, there, there's still some kind of, you know, weirdness uh, to that story too. Um, and not like necessarily good weirdness, just kind of like, ah, oh, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that was the strongest effort this month. Also um, Loki is the only thing, you know, in our, in our last episode, Loki is the only thing that's another big a bright part of the Marvel universe going forward. Yeah. That's introduced and, and Asgard. So yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We totally skipped over like what matter about the month, but I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like that's like, it. That's like, it. It's, Asgard and Loki. <laughs> Asgard and Loki is, is basically it. I mean, uh, we have the introduction of the destroyer, but it's not that destroyer. Uh, <laughs> Drax wouldn't come along for many years. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, there, you can see them testing the waters with Johnny storm as a solo character. Um, which is something that they would pursue like into the seventies. Um, uh, I remember like the, the seventies uh, fantastic four cartoon replaces him with Herbie, the robot. Yep. And it's because they had actually sold the rights to Johnny storm or the human torch to a different company because <laughs> Marvel has a habit of doing this. Right. Um, but uh, not to mention the human torch was already a contested. Uh, the, the copyright was yeah. from the, the old old golden age version yes um, exactly yeah. yeah but i mean other than that there's there's almost nothing from this month that really like you could have you could have completely skipped everything from this month maybe except for journey into mystery uh and you would have lost nothing like you, you would not have 
<laughs> have missed anything that that mattered uh or was even really i hate to say it but really that good um it, it's just even the best creators are not gonna just hit it out of the park every single time and it's just you know three of the villains in the four stories uh were just one and done like kurgo dies at the end of the story we never see him again i'm pretty sure madam x never shows up again <laughs> um and the destroyer certainly never shows up again so it's like you know there's no world building in it you know other there's than no again, dr doom no namor there's right no, yeah. yeah but there's not even like you know like sea level villains who like wind up showing up again you yeah know? it's just really our new, our new power elements or right know, or even interpersonal relationship elements there's nothing yeah yeah like nothing really really moves the universe forward uh except for you know uh, loki and asgard which is huge but um obviously would you know they would refine that and and tune in so much more and blow that out so much more um but um yeah i mean it really just honestly felt like this month um everyone just seemed to be spread a little too thin um which when you add it all up i think kirby drew at least i mean it's it's got to be at least 60 pages this month um, yeah. which is a lot um and dick Ayers is inking every one of them um so you know yeah uh i mean fortunately this is a very temporary condition uh the uh, uh next issue of fantastic four will introduce a villain who has always been one of my favorites so you know things get way better um real quickly um and then you know we've got a lot of other good stuff on the horizon but yeah, right now, uh, October 62, just not <laughs> not the, the brightest uh, star in the Marvel firmament. No. Yeah. But, but, you know, we're headed to 1963 when things get big, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to uh, another episode of Marvel by the Month. Please uh, email us, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Um, you can get us on Twitter at MarvelBTM, uh, on Instagram at MarvelByTheMonth, um, and you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash MarvelByTheMonth. Um, and remember, there's a no prize in it for you. If you can uh, give us a good explanation for <laughs> why Reed said what he did when he obviously meant the other thing. Um, Reduce or enlarge. Come on. Yep. Bring it on. I think that's it. I, I got nothing else. Nope. All right, cool. Yeah, thanks again for listening. Uh, I'm still Brian Stratton. And I remain Rob Nell. And we will see you next week for next month. Bye.